Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guides Network Radio Show with your host, Mark Chatterton. Today's guest is Anne Napier of Cygnus Books. Anne, together with her husband, Jeff, founded Cygnus Books 21 years ago as a means of getting good quality mind, body and spirit books to the public at reasonable prices through a book club. Every month, Cygnus Books publishes a free magazine called the Cygnus Review, which is sent to your home for you to choose and buy the latest mind, body and spirit books, as well as read articles by leading authors and learn about the latest courses and events taking place. As someone who has benefited over the years from all that Cygnus Books has to offer, it is a great privilege for me to welcome you on the show today, Anne. Hello, Mark. Um, Thank you very much for uh, asking me to be interviewed. That's really nice of you. Thank you for for agreeing. Right, let's start off um, with the fact that you've actually been running Cygnus Books now for 21 years. Uh, It's quite a milestone for you and Jeff, your husband. What was it that made you decide to start Cygnus Books in the first place? And did you believe that it would still be going in 2012? (laughs) I really didn't think I'd still be here in 2012, actually. So so I, I remember at the time thinking ahead to 2012 gosh I'll be so old then I mean I'm 58 but I thought that was very old when I was um, 21 years younger than I am now Um, but anyway why did we start Cygnus well I always had um, uh, the idea that um, I, I, I had to do something to do with telling people what was in a book um, and that's because I wrote about it in the Cygnus magazine once. Um, when I was 16, I, I had a very strange, um, I call it a nocturnal experience, because um, it wasn't really like a dream in that it happened twice, and it was extremely vivid, and it was identical both times. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, I, I saw myself in a, in a cave underneath the ground and um, I had to go in some water like a lake and in that lake something happened I didn't really understand what but I was different when I came out of the lake and and then um, I followed this this procession of people um, they they looked like monks they had these robes and they had hoods on and stuff and I followed them along we came out of the cave and walked along this very very sunny place it was a beach and it was incredibly bright light and I always think when you get those experiences of bright light in in a dream you know there's something very special going on there Anyway, so then um, we came back into the cave and they showed me this huge book and it had all these seals on it and everything. And it it was open and I could read it. And they said, one day in the future, um, we want you to, to, um, to tell everybody what is in this book. And they showed me this vast quantity of people that they, you know I couldn't see the end of them there was loads and loads of people and um, I said oh I couldn't possibly do that 
Um, and uh, I pointed to someone else and said, why don't you ask him? He'll be able to do it. You're much better at it than me. But they said, no, we want you to do it. And so I, I said yes. And um, I took that very seriously. And um, so that, you know, the next day I felt really committed that I had to show everybody what was in this book. But I didn't really understand what the book was or anything and so after that I had quite a long period of real depression where I felt I had to do this whatever it was and I didn't have a clue how to do it and and I remember one night you know I, I, I was sort of really crying and and my mum came in and asked me what was the matter and I said well I've got to do something and I don't know what it is so, and she obviously really didn't understand that at all. <laughs> but anyway, in, in the years that followed, I did everything possible to turn myself into a person who could tell people what was in this book, which I, I kind of felt was a metaphorical book. And as I learned more in the coming years, I felt that it was really it's the book of life like they talk about in the uh, Rosicrucian manifestos, yeah. um, the Confessio Fraternitatis and so on. So I, I came to the conclusion that it was the book of life. Uh, but anyway, I, I went and trained to be a teacher. And um, what else did I do? And then, and then at a certain moment I had a strong feeling that I should stop teaching, so I stopped and and that was very sudden. And then after after that, I, I got a job in a publishing company. And the wages were really, really low. And, um, you know, in, in the, what we used to call the dole office, I don't know what you call it now. <laughs> and they said, oh, you won't want that job, you know, because you're too highly qualified and everything. And uh, I said, yes, I do want that job. You get it for me. So... <laughs> So um, I, I got the job in the publishing company and, and um, I learned all about publishing. And, um, and then um, I think as well, a while before that, I had joined a, a spiritual school. It was called in Holland. And um, Jeff was in that as well. That's how I met him. And uh, in, in that organisation, I, I learned so much and, and I experienced um, a very beautiful energy which I've never experienced uh, to that extent anywhere else it was really it was very wonderful I'm not in the group anymore obviously um, but I did, I did learn a lot um, about the book of life and of course life has taught me a lot as well because I don't think I've been short of difficult experiences. So anyway, so we always knew that, that this was going to be something that we needed to do. And then, um, what was it? It was 1991, and Jeff and I, we had this desktop publishing business, and we were, we were training uh, companies to uh, use computers and everything. And... and um, and also we, we did typesetting and editing and all, all those sorts of things. And, and then we realised that, you know, the bottom was really going to fall out of that market. And what else should we do? 
And then that coincided with someone coming to see us with a book called The Angel in the Western Window. It was by a, a German chap called uh, Gustav Meyrink. And it was a sort of a gothic novel, uh, but it had a lot of symbolism in it. And uh, it was actually about John Dee, you know, the... Um, <laughs> The, uh, in the Elizabethan um, astrologer times. of yeah. Queen Elizabeth the um, first, and and all the the rides and hunts he went on as, as as a you know person with quite a strong ego, and how you know he learnt at the end that he knew nothing, and that and that when he reached that point of nothingness, then he could become a gardener in the Garden of Souls. It was a beautiful story, the ending was really lovely, but he did go through an awful lot of suffering and, you know, pride cometh before a fall. There was a great deal of that in the novel. And and um, and then at the end, uh, he did become a gardener in the Rose Garden. It's beautiful. So anyway, this friend of ours said, why don't you publish it? Because it was only in German then. And we said, yes, but you, if you publish a book, you've got to have a market. You can't just publish a book. You've got to be able to sell it as well, because it's a huge uh, investment. Mm. And so then we thought, how should we do this? And we, it was Jeff's idea. He said, we could start a book club, because we were in the Red House Book Club, which is a book club for children. Yeah. And that was a really marvellous book club, and we got nearly all our children's books from there. It's a lovely book, and the chap who um, owned it, he gave us a lot of helpful advice um, when we started up. Anyway, so so um, it was Jeff's idea, and you know, once he said it, it was like, well, all the skittle was going down in the, in the you know in the bowling alley. <laughs> we really we realised that you know this was it and this was the next step that we had to do, and um, so we did it. And, and it was a, a hugely uh, expensive operation. So for the first five years, we we ran another business as well, the business we already had, you know, doing typesetting and things, and. Um, we didn't take a penny from it for the first five years. So we, mm. we made all our money for the other business. So we really worked ourselves into the absolute ground. But we did get it off the ground. And I don't know, did you ever see one of our first magazines? No, I, I, I was, was thinking the other, other day. I couldn't remember when I first started getting Cygnus News. But, I, you know, it's, it's been quite a few years, but obviously not, not as far back as then, no. Yes. Well, it was just black and white, and it had 12 pages, and it really looked extremely scrappy, actually. <laughs> and, and But we used to get these lovely, lovely letters from people, and that indicated to me that they were sort of picking up on something that wasn't really on a material level. It, it was something it, you know, very subtle. And I, and I felt it was like the... The energy that kind of was overshadowing us, which I call the energy of the swan. Yeah. I feel that that is what has helped us. You know, they they do sometimes say that organisations have an angel. And I think that Cygnus has got an angel, and it's the swan. And um, 
I didn't realise for, for many years, because there's all sorts of meanings to the symbol of the swan, isn't, isn't there? Yeah. You know, and, and you can read in the voice of the silence about the great bird with wings that, you know, that carries you along and that shelters you. It's a beautiful piece in the voice of the silence. Uh, that's uh, by Mrs. Blavatsky. And, um, but I, I realised very suddenly that the swan is, is like a white-winged serpent. And so, you know, the serpent fire system, which is, you know, the, the column of chakras that we have. Um, so I, I, I would see that as, as like when it's purified, it becomes winged and it becomes, well, white is the colour of purity, isn't it? And then you've got the swan. That's what a swan is. So it's like the the resurrected, purified human being, the renewed human being. And I think that's really what the swan uh, represents the most to me. So did, did you call it Cygnus Books from the start or was that sort of a bit later on? No, it was right from the start. And um, I already had a company called Cygnus um, because, well, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to have a company. <laughs> but I, when I, I, we were on holiday in Guernsey, this sounds ridiculous, but there was this pub, and it was a pub called The Swan, and it had this um, sign. And when I saw it, I was electrified. I, I said, well, I've got to have a company called Cygnus. <laughs> And and, um, and so we took a photograph of the, the pub sign, you know, we just stopped the car in the middle of the road and took a picture of it and then I went to a designer friend when I went home and I got him to turn it into our logo and I particularly wanted a, a five-pointed star above it because that's another symbol for the resurrected human being. And um, so that, that's what we had and that's our logo to this very day. And, um, yeah, so, so we, we just transferred that name to the book club. And it was also to do with, uh, you know, the constellation of signs. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's always said to be um, a very important constellation for humanity and, and sort of a, an area in the sky where our inspiration can come from. And... Um, Somebody's written a really brilliant book about that. I can't remember. Uh, is that Andrew Collins' The Cygnus Mystery? That's the one. That's yeah. the one, yes. Yeah. Yes, and so um, I thought that was a really brilliant book because it's all in there. Um, and but, you know, the constellation of Cygnus is, is referred to in the um, uh, Confessio Fraternitatis. That's one of the Rosicrucian manifestos. And uh, as being, you know, the place where our help will come from. And I, I very strongly felt uh, with Cygnus that it was there to kind of help people to be a companion on their road, not to sort of dictate to them what road to follow, because I think everyone's got their own road, but the road really is in your heart, isn't it? And that's yeah. also where the book of life is written. And so 
the purpose of Signals was really to help people to read the Book of Life as it was written in their hearts and also to help them to follow the road of life, which again, it, it, the map is in your heart, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I was going to say, um, obviously Cygnus grew and expanded. Would you say it's easier running Cygnus now than when you first started or, or is it just as hard or harder? Well, it's a different set of difficulties really. When we first started, we had no money, but we were the only book club in the field. Um, and then along came uh, book club associates in Swindon and they started a Mind Body Spirit book club. And then, and then the Reader's Digest did, and also Time Life organisation did. So suddenly we, we, we had to pull our socks up quite a lot. And, and that's when we started to do a colour magazine. Um, but nowadays, you know, it, it's a whole other exercise because um, we're, we're up against the beer moths now, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, they, and, and their way of doing business is really cutthroat, and we're up against that, and it's very, very hard. And, of course, um, the company who will mention no names, yeah. they, they don't pay taxes, and they don't, I'm, I'm quite convinced, they don't pay all the VAT that they ought to pay because... Um, of their, you know, they're based in Luxembourg. And that gives them basically a 30% price advantage before they even start over mm. everybody else. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it becomes very, very, very difficult um, to make any sort of a living out of books now. And so we, we're functioning with um, a very small team yeah. and everybody works their socks off, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got our sons helping us now. Um, um, one is 25 and the other is 28. And, you know, sometimes they work 24 hours and don't even stop to eat. Um, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is really, it is very, very hard. But since we, a few weeks ago, do you remember we... we um, We've been sending out a series of letters with the magazine yeah, yeah. to try and explain to people that we, we, we would like them to do something differently now, and that is to be a supporter if they possibly can. And we've had a marvellous uh, response to that, and it's gradually healing our bank account. Because yeah. we, we haven't actually been in the black properly since about 2009 mm. and, and so you know we're nearly there now it's absolutely amazing and, and um, so we've always survived and I'm sure we still will but it has been quite strained <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you're based in South Wales um, have you always lived there or did you move there with a the company well we moved there with the company because what happened we lived in Red Hill and we operated from a, a sort of hut we'd built in our garden. And, um, and we ended up where we had books in the shower, books in, you know, books all <laughs> up the stairs yeah. you know, in the house as well, with books everywhere. And um, 
you know, and then we thought, dear, dear, we'd better move. And we started to look for somewhere, and then we got visited by the planning department one day. And we had planned permission, um, but not, um, you know, for the scale of enterprise that it was becoming. And so this, mm. this planning lady, she came round. She was really scary. And she said, you've got to go. You've got three months because you're attracting too much traffic into the road. Ah, right. Mm. And so we we um we thought, well, we've got to find somewhere that we can afford because we couldn't possibly afford, uh, you know, a place the size that we needed in in Surrey. So it was a case of go west, young man. <laughs> we had to just keep looking further and further west until we came uh, to a place um you know that we could afford. And what happened was we. We kept trying to get places and we couldn't get the money from the bank, you know, and mm. uh, it all kept going wrong. And one night I went to sleep and I, and I said in my prayers, look, you know, I need your help. Come on, give us a hand. I don't get this. this is, I need some help. This is too difficult. Anyway, when uh, just before I woke up in the morning, I saw a road sign and it had big black block capitals Clandovery written on it, and um, and I thought to myself, "Well, that's a fat lot of views because that's <laughs> absolutely miles away, and we'll never be able to move there because it's too far from London." Um, but anyway, um, I didn't say anything to my family. Um, but then one day, we, we we what we did, we did like a fact blitz of all the estate agents in the area of uh, close to the border in Wales, where we thought we could go. And anyway, on the way to one of the places, which was further into Wales, one of the places that we were going to view, um, we, well, we didn't have to pass through Llandovery, but we could pass through Llandovery. So I, I said to Jeff, why don't we just drive through Llandovery? And when we got to Llandovery, I said, why don't we stop for a cup of coffee? <laughs> and, and so then we, we sort of walked past the estate agents and, and um, we saw this house in, in the window. And so we went in and we thought, well, we might as well. And we asked uh, to have everything that they got on their books that was in our price range. And um, and then that's how we ended up here. <laughs> we, we we saw this house and it was called Buch uh, Agored, which... Uh, means the open way mm. and we thought that was a terribly symbolic um, sort of name for a house you know the open way <laughs> the way that you know is open so we're really taken by that and it was in a village called Langadog and that sounds exactly like uh, Langadog where, where the Cathars lived All right, in the yeah. south of mm. France and we always felt very, very connected with the Cathars. So that, that was very meaningful uh, to us as well. And then we found that just up the road um, uh, from, from, well, as you, as you come to our, our house in Wales, there's a signpost and it says to Bethlehem. Oh, and right. there really is a village called Bethlehem just up the road. <laughs> and, and, um, and then 
Bethlehem and, and our house. This whole area in the old days was it was it was called the hundred of Perfev, which means perfect, All the right. perfect hundred. Mm. And of course, the, the perfectine that, that was the name of the cathars. Once you'd pass through, um, you know, the consolamentum, then then you were a perfect. Right. <laughs> So it was all very, very symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> we thought, oh God, this must be it. And um, anyway, it had outbuildings and they were in marvellous condition. And, uh, and it was owned by really lovely people who we became friends with. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and so no, that, we, that's how we ended up in Wales. <laughs> and in, in this part of Wales, yes. And we didn't realise how hard it would be to find um, well-qualified employees. Yeah. Um, but it, it is getting easier now. And so I think, well, a lot of people move to Wales because, you know, they want to get closer to the land. And yeah, yeah. Down uh, shift, down size. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think it is getting easier to find good stuff now. Uh, so that's the story of how we ended up here. Oh, that's good. Because I was going to say to you, um, although Cygnus Books is primarily a book club, you have on occasions published books under the Cygnus Books imprint. For instance, Pierre Pradovar Van's Gentle Art of Blessing was one that you published, um, which I understand was one of the, the biggest sellers on your list. What was it that made... Uh, 14,000 copies cool. of that. But <laughs> well, do you know what? Mm. We've sold them to probably about 6,000 people. So oh. that means that most of them have bought well over one copy. Yeah, so yeah. they must have thought it was good. Because <laughs> I was going <laughs> yes. to say, what, what was it Sorry, that made... what did you want to yeah. know, Mark? What, what was <laughs> it that made you decide to start publishing your own books in the first place? Yes, and, and um, I, I think, well, we really do need to do more of that because the way the book market's going publishers are only wanting to do more and more sort of lowest common denominator things and then you've got this huge area of self-published books which mainly that they're not they're not very well edited mm. and um you know they're not presented in a way that you know the information is, is it comes across well and and so, you know, I still mainly prefer to buy books from publishers, but they're not publishing some of the really good books, it seems to me, hmm. anymore. And so you find that quite a few really, really good uh, British authors end up going to American publishers to have their books published, which I think is, is tragic, really. Hmm. Um, you know, people like Ross Heaven, um, he's a very good uh, shamanic author and and um, not Rupert Sheldrake, he's uh, gone yep. to an American publisher now. You know, the, these are really marvellous, intelligent people with really original ideas. And so that's why we thought we, we really do need to have our own uh, publishing operation as well. And also, if we've produced it, that means to say we, we, we can... Uh, you know, it gives us a competitive edge, so yeah. to put it that way, but it does. And um, so one of the books we've done recently is, is The Coming of the Holy Grail by Claire Normand. Did you uh, 
have a look at that one yet. Mark. No, I, have, I haven't looked at that one yet, but uh, I did see it in the, in the Cygnus review, certainly, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, that's a really, really interesting <laughs> book, that is. Um, not only does she sort of say that she thinks that uh, um, there's something very, very special buried uh, in the grounds of Lincoln Cathedral, um, but also she, she's gone through the whole history of humanity with this very um, special kind of spiritual intelligence that she's got, which is kind of, I can't explain it really. She says she gets a very kind of still feeling in her heart when she knows that she's picked up something true and real. And that, you know, when it's just her left brain um, talking, you know, uh, it just... Well, she can tell it's her left brain, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then she, she always uh, works with um, a very good psychic and and she um, endeavours to get, you know, confirmation of the things that she picks up. But she's she's brought out some very interesting things about humanity and, and why it seems that we are so kind of encapsulated and why it is so difficult for us to... A, find the path to home, which is in fact our centre, isn't it? Mm. And B, to stay there. Um, so I, I think she's got some very interesting things to say. And uh, it's a really very good book. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the right. subject of books, obviously um, last year you, you had a big celebration for your 20th anniversary and you got different authors whose, whose books you've sold to, to say what books inspired them. What, what about yourself? Is there one particular book that you would say has inspired you the most at all? Oh, good Lord. Yeah, you need to probably think about that. But... I, I, I'll tell you what, in recent years, you'll laugh, but it's the Harry Potter series. All right, yes, because I know you've mentioned about that in, in the Cygnus Review, haven't you? Yes, I mean, I find endless inspiration in there. Uh, for example, um, a few weekends ago, um, we were visited by a friend of ours called Hans Andrea, who's got a wonderful website called Harry Potter for Seekers. Yeah. And he came over and um, we went for a walk, and we were in Bristol, so we went for a walk in Bradford on Avon, because that's really beautiful. I love it there. Mm. Um, and I always think, yes, it was definitely called Brideford on Avon, so that's like a goddess town. Yeah. Anyway, it's built um, up the sides of a hill with the River Avon in the in the valley at the bottom, and you can climb up the hill, and there are houses built all the way up the hill, and you can sit up the top. So we went up there with our friend Hans, and as we were sitting looking out over Bradford on Avon, he remembered that scene in in Harry Potter where Hagrid um, introduces his troll brother. Do you remember his yeah, brother, yeah. his half-brother? Mm. And his half-brother was in the, in, in the woods there and he was chained to the trees um, because uh, obviously he was, the, he was considered to be a threat. Um, but then he took Harry and uh, everybody to see his half-brother. 
And they, and they said, well, you know, why, why are you keeping him? Why are you looking after him? And Hagrid said, he's my brother. <laughs> and my friend Hans explained what he saw in that. He said he was in the bath one time and all the hair stood up on the back of his neck because he realized that this was a being chained to trees, you know, like mm. a cross, in fact. Yeah. And, and, uh, and Hagrid said he was going to stay in care for his brother. And that's, that's like the Bodhisattva, you know, will always mm. come back into this world to help his brothers and sisters until everyone has passed uh, into the light. That's the Bodhisattva vow, isn't it, in, in, yeah, yeah. in my clumsy terms. <laughs> And and um, I just thought that was so wonderful because that had never occurred to me. But Harry Potter's stuffed with things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and my friend Hans seems to have got like a, a knack of um, seeing it. You know, he it's, he he just sees it like in a in a vision. Whereas it takes me much more effort to <laughs> kind of extract. And the meaning from yeah, it all. Yeah. But when I was in hospital, I was continually thinking of Harry Potter and how did he get through and what did he do? And it was really a very great help to me. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Because I, I was going to mention that the fact that you've you shared with the readers of uh, Cygnus Review about you battling cancer in recent years. Um, what advice would you give to anyone who's going through the same experience? You know, how, how did you sort of deal with all that? Well, this is my first bit of advice. You know, in the New Age, they always say that uh, illnesses um, come from some kind of psychological or spiritual disturbance, right? Mm. Um, however, when you get an illness like cancer, you do not know how big the can of worms is that you have got to resolve. Yeah. And therefore, my first bit of advice is don't just go down all the new agey routes, you know, um, yeah. of, of, of doing that kind of, um, you know, for example, you, you could just do it by the, you know, the Christian science style of method, which is, you know, to really believe so firmly in your own well-being that uh, everything will be healed. Um I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying that should be a part of it, but you don't know how much time you're going to need to resolve all the issues that brought you to that extremely, um, it's a kind of a, a final warning, really, isn't it, from mm. your higher self, cancer. So you don't know what, what brought that on. And so I would say at the same time, as you approach your illness on a, on a spiritual level um, and, you know, on a, on a sort of a life-giving level as much as you can, you, you also want to um, use it, use, um, sorry, but medical, medical uh, drugs, herbs, whatever you can get your hands on that will not knacker your immune system. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well, 
so that um, you know you've got enough time to solve all your problems. And and the other big piece of advice I would give is that cancer is first and foremost a thought form. It's a it's it's a thought form that sucks all all the all the courage out of you. Really, it's. You know the Dementors in Harry Potter? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly like Very that. Very similar, yeah. And I've seen so many people, because I've now had many, many friends with cancer, I've seen so many people die of fear mm. and belief in the illness. But, you know, at the same time as you're fighting it with everything that you can bring to bear, you know, medical, spiritual... You, you you mustn't believe in it to the extent that it can take your life away. Mm, mm. Um, it, it's a it's a thought form that that it gets bigger and stronger. For example, in, in my family now, I've had cancer for five years, and my whole family has witnessed me and everything that I've been through, and that's now in their minds. You know, and that's something I, I'm I'm going to be wanting to really undo. In yeah. years come, um, because I, I think it was the same with me because my mother died of cancer when I was 22, and she got cancer when I was six. So, throughout the whole time of my growing up, I saw someone suffer incredibly and then die, mm. and that was like a real thought for me in my mind. And that's one of the things that I've had to really, really work on very, very hard in the course of my illness to try and see it from a higher level and and to really connect with my mother as she truly is and not as this 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 poor, poor woman who suffered and was so uh, deeply unhappy because of it. Mm. And 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 um so, you know, it kind of it infects everybody. I mean, many people say when they go in the oncology department of a hospital, you know, you, you just pick up this, this kind of fatalistic feeling. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when, when I go in, I always try to be, you know, cheerful and happy and chatty and make friends with everybody mm. um, because I, I think that's so important for kind of disarming this horrible thought form, because if it, even if it doesn't disarm it for anybody else, it certainly disarms it for you, and that's really, really important. But you know, you, you can go into a hospital, and the doctors and the nurses believe so much in in the course of the disease. You know that it will get worse and worse, and then you'll die. Well, if you were in my situation, because it was my cancer was stage three when I discovered it, which means that it was large and locally advanced. Mm. And so, you know, once you get to that point, there's this kind of, um, you know, you, you meet this kind of fatalistic belief about cancer. And, and you have to be very careful to kind of, you know, push that away um, with with whoever you meet, really. Um and not, and not give in to it because cancer can at the very least be turned into a, a chronic disease rather than an acute and fatal one. Mm. Um, there, there are lots and lots of things you can use um, 
you know, to do that these days, um, which I could give you a very long list of if you want me to. <laughs> um, maybe maybe but, you should um, write a book yeah, about and, this. And, uh, I, I never give up hope of getting well. No. Um, you know, I, I know I've got as much cancer in my body as will make most people turn their toes up and die. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, you, you haven't to give up. No, and, you... And you haven't to, uh, you know, just go on the tram lines that are set out before you yeah, as a yeah. cancer patient. It should be on your terms and you should defend your immune system from all comers. Um, anything that is going to compromise that, you, you should avoid. Because, you know, um, you can actually take very, very low doses of chemo Called, uh, it's called metronomic chemo, this method, whereby um, you still get all the cancer-killing effects, but it can actually make your body stronger rather than, you know, progressively mm. weaker. Mm. And also, they carry, when you use chemo drugs in that way, they carry on working for much, much longer. So um, I really don't know why, why we're all being asked to poison ourselves unless... It's down to money when it is, isn't mm, it? Mm, yeah, yeah. Down to money. Mm. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that that with with us. Um, I was going to say you mentioned earlier about this dream experience that you had early on in in your life. Because would you say um, you had one sort of special spiritual experience that started you off on this path, or have you sort of gradually is is it sort of grown with you over the years? your sort of spiritual beliefs that, that you've got by now? Well, I think it has gradually grown because, um, I mean, my father was very religious. He wouldn't, you know, go to church or anything like that, but there was nothing that, there is nothing, because still alive, he's 96. <laughs> um, there is nothing that interests him more than spirituality. Yeah. And so I grew up with that, really, and... When I was 12, I got my ticket to the adult section of the library, and from that moment on, I only ever wanted to read, uh, you know, books about, well, it was called The Occult, then, wasn't mm. it? So um, that, that, those are the things I read, and the very first thing I read was um, a book um, by Freud about dreams, and um, I found that very, very interesting, and ever since then, I've been really interested in dreams and uh, the symbolism and how they can help you. Um, so that's that's what started it off. And then, of course, I've I've had lots of you know spiritual experiences in the intervening years, but there really has never been anything that interested me in that <laughs> way. You know, it makes my world go around really. Right. Well, we're just coming to the the end of this interview. I've just got one more question before we finish. Obviously, um, running Cygnus Books has been quite stressful at times, and you've pulled through with the help of your supporters and customers, who we just mentioned yes. earlier. Yes. How how would you see Cygnus Books as going forward in the future? What what what's your vision for it? You know, in the next few years. Well. The, the biggest and most important thing is for us to stay in touch with people who are looking for the kind of help that Cygnus can give. I don't know whether we will do it by selling books 
or by publishing or by simply selling a magazine. Um, but I, well, I think when it comes to guidance, do you remember there was that brilliant novel, you know, that was channeled by Cryon? Yeah, yeah. Mark Carroll, whatever his name was. And, and um, it, there was a lot of stuff in that about a map. And you know the map. You can't see anything on the map except where you are. Um, you know, all, all the roads are kind of hidden from you, except for the place where you are. And you can see your next step, but you can't really see further than that. And um, I, that, that's how I always play it when it comes to guidance. It's more of a feeling than, than a clear vision. And we sort of, sort of just keep putting our feet in the direction of the feeling and trust that it will all come out right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yes, I, I, the feeling is, the strong feeling is that we have to be able to keep that connection with the people that want what, what we have to offer and how that will actually come about. I think it's moving now because we've got many, many more supporters now than we used to have. And so we, we could feasibly move towards being a, you know, mainly a subscriber-only magazine with a much smaller free list. Mm. Uh, you know. um, but I'm still not 100% sure. It may, may be that we have to join forces with other people. It, it, it may be, um, you know, that it, the focus becomes much more on the features in the magazine, um, which people tell us they find really helpful. Yeah, yeah. And unless on book selling, I don't know. I have to wait and see. I love books and I love choosing books. And, and um, there's a lot of things about book selling <laughs> that I do really enjoy. Um, but, you know, you just have to wait and see what happens in the big wide world, really, <laughs> as well. But we are moving steadily towards something that is really better. <laughs> and also this idea, you know, that we've been talking about, about finding our tribe. Mm, yeah, that's right. Yes, well, I feel a lot that there's a lot more things that we could do in terms of um, having interaction with the members and making a real place for them to be able to share uh, their gifts, really with each other and um, so that, that's something we want to definitely move towards yeah lovely well thank you ever so much Anne for agreeing to come and be interviewed by us today and thank you for telling us all about Cygnus Books and for all the listeners who haven't heard of Cygnus Books or investigated it it's it's really worth um, looking at and getting the, the free monthly magazine and you get so many books to choose from and they are a lot cheaper than you get in in your normal bookshop so that's one thing and if you become a supporter of Cygnus you, you pay a donation or whatever and you get free package and postage as well so we'll put all the details of the website there and links to Cygnus books but we hope that you you enjoy this interview and, and thank you once again Anne for that yes it, it was a pleasure to talk to you Mark and thanks ever so much <laughs>